Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Uh, today is Wednesday, August the 15th, 2012. This is episode 961 of the Survival Podcast. Today I have a great guy coming on. He's a uh, very well-known YouTuber named John Kohler, and he has his, uh, his domain that points to his YouTube channel is growingyourgreens.com and uh, his YouTube channel is Growing Your Greens. It's how he's known on YouTube. Uh, he's been very popular with a lot of the members of the audience for the work that he does. He puts out a show on YouTube about every other day and I'm excited to have him on and a lot of you guys wanted to hear him so he will be here with us in just a moment. Before we get to him though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is... MERS Radio, that's M-U-R-S-Radio.com. Rob Belleville there with MERS Radio. He only has a small assortment of equipment, most of it being MERS-based. MERS is a frequency that's not used a whole lot, honestly, and it gives you a little bit more of an expectation of a privacy, though it is a public frequency that anybody can use. No license required. Uh, there's five frequencies and five sub-frequencies. This is relatively short-range communications up to about two miles. The cool thing, though, is you can combine MERS radios with MERS radio frequency motion detectors, combining security and secondary communications at your homestead or bug-out location. Check them out today, MERS-radio.com. Next up today uh, is... Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor, when we had no sponsors, when I didn't even have a thing that said, hey, you can sponsor the show, when I was just getting started out and just starting to build up the audience, um, we had a, we had a conversation with Vic Rontal, who is the, uh, the head of uh, Safe Castle. He said, hey, we want to sponsor the show. What can we do to, uh, to make that happen? And we built the entire, uh, sponsorship program around how we vetted out Safe Castle. And, you know, they passed with flying colors. And, uh, they are the, the first and they are the longest supporting sponsor of the Survival Podcast. And they have everything you could want for your prepping needs. Long-term storage food, tactical stuff, practical stuff, you name it. Check them out today. Safe Castle Royal. They are, their website, the best way to find them is at prepared.pro.pr. R-O, prepared.pro. And the best way to find uh, Safe Castle, honestly, and MERS Radio and all our sponsors, go to the survivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin, and you will know you're dealing with an actual sponsor. I don't talk about this a lot. Uh, I think most of the audience knows it. If you read the ad policy, you'll know it. But a sponsor can't just be a sponsor on this show because they show up with money. We have a strict limit of only 12 sponsors. Those sponsors are then vetted by our listener ad council, which is made up of the moderators on the forum. They haven't had to do it for a long time because nobody seems to leave once they become a sponsor. Um, we've kept our sponsors for a long time, but every one of them is approved first. First, they got to get through me. Then they got to get through the ad council. Then they get on the site. And they are all personal endorsements from me with a heavy vetting process. So I just like to point that out once in a while. It's not like your typical advertising where just anybody can be a sponsor. And I get requests for people to be sponsors all the time. And the answer is there's no room at the end. Uh, when one of these great sponsors ever chooses not to advertise for any reason, then a slot will open and the people that uh, are in line will have to go through the same process to qualify. I think it's important that you guys know that. Uh, next up, I want to tell you guys uh, uh, that you can meet me. I'm going to do another Self-Reliance Expo with Ron and Scott. Uh, this one at Hickory, North Carolina will be September 14th and 15th. There'll be a link in today's show notes where you can learn more about that. I should have put a blog post out uh, yesterday or the day before uh, with a full announcement on it. But yes, I will be in Hickory, uh, 
North Carolina, September 14th and 15th at the Self-Reliance Expo. Hope to see some of you guys there. If we do put together any kind of special meetup or anything, I will let you know on the air. I'm not sure on that right now. Next up, remember, check out TSP Copper. Cool coins, uh, cool stuff. AOCS barter, copper currency, I'll leave it at that. TSPcopper.com, 10% off for all MSB members on all copper products. Uh, next up, remember, you can support the show by joining my members' brigade. It is $50 a year. That comes out to $0.20 cents an episode. When you get done with the show, if you think, that show's worth two dimes an episode, consider joining because that's what you'll be contributing to help the work that we do here at the Survival Podcast. With that all wrapped up, it's my good fortune now to introduce John Kohler. John has been growing his own food for over 12 years. Three years ago, he decided to expand his garden and to include the entire front yard in his standard 6,000-foot lot-tracked home. He's filmed this process of converting his front yard into his own personal grocery store, where he can currently is growing 90-95% to 95% of the vegetables he's consuming. He believes every American should have started growing their food yesterday. He puts out a show just about every other day on YouTube, which is a real challenge. He does a great job. Again, he's really uh, popular with a large segment of the audience for the work that he's doing. If you have not already, I recommend that uh, after you listen to today's episode, you get by growingyourgreens.com. That will redirect to his YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, it's a great channel. I know I'm a subscriber and have been for a long time. And with that, hey, John, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Thank you for having me, Jack. Hey, um, I think you and I are in league with like kind of an evil plan uh, to overtake the entire world, and that is to kind of put uh, a garden and get every person in the world growing some of their own food. That's that's been part of my evil plot for years to uh, to take over by making people take over for themselves. But why do you feel that it's so important for anyone, but especially a prepper, to grow some of their own food? Well, Jack, you know, there's many reasons why it's really important to grow your own food. Number one, I think it's just about, you know, controlling the food you eat. Because if you don't take charge of what you're eating, you know, companies and other people are going to be doing that for you. And, you know, taking your freedom back and growing your own food is the number one way to do that. Besides that fact is, for me, personally, I got into growing food specifically for my health. You know, I mean, we're Americans are eating all kinds of just fast food and junk food, which are really messing up their minds and the way they think, which is a whole other topic that I won't get into. But eating natural foods, you know, that you can raise on your own property, man, is, is some of the best and healthiest food so that you could be as healthy and, and think as clearly as possible and rise out from <laughs> below. Very cool. Um, I, I've also had a lot of people, like, because I talk about this all the time, uh, gardening and all, and I've had people tell me that it just seems like it's too hard It's too much work. What do you think is the best way for a person to get started and have some initial success? Because I find that if a person gets some success early on, they tend to like kind of stick with it, you know. And if they, if the first thing they do just flops completely and they get nothing out of it, they, you know, they get, why am I doing all this work? Absolutely. You know, I think just like we need to build skills, just like you need to build skills the first time you picked up a shotgun or a, a rifle or a handgun, you know, you probably, I mean, you may have hit the target on the bullseye, but you probably missed, and you got to practice. Practice makes perfect, and gardening is just a skill, just like shooting a gun, just like riding a bicycle or baking a cake. To do it successfully, you know, you need to get your feet wet and start doing it today. One of the easiest ways to start, you know, growing stuff is by actually just sprouting. So you can buy sprouting seeds, and you could just literally germinate those and soak them in water and put them in a colander, you know, depending on this kind of seed, You could sprout those just for five days, and then they're going to sprout, and then you could eat them, and now you've germinated dormant seeds that are maybe from storage or whatnot, and you've literally massively increased the amount of nutrition in 
the seeds that now you can consume. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty much no fail with, sprout, with many sprouts. Yeah, I think the only way you could screw that up is if you got some bad seed. I mean, it's if you get them wet, then they're going to sprout. That's what they do. They're seeds. A- absolutely. You know, if you get some bad seeds, a non-reliable source of seeds, or seeds that are old or, you know, don't have a high germination rate, you know, that, that's the only way you're going to screw that up because all it takes is seeds and water. And, you know, we, we a lot of us forget, you know, nature knows how to work. I mean, we put seeds on water, they sprout. That's what they're supposed to do. I mean, they're pre-programmed to do things a certain way. And the problem is when we as people get involved with trying to grow foods and do things, we try to do things to our seeds and our plants that go outside of nature's rules. And that's when things run awry. Too much water, too little water, too much fertilizer, you know, whatnot. Well, you've you've been doing this uh, for quite a while. And I think like most of us, you probably enjoy, you know, paging through a catalog or what have you. And there's like, there's so much more choice today than back when I started doing this with my grandfather when I was a kid back in the 70s. Uh, you know, there was like a, the catalog was 10 pages long. Now it's, it's, you know, sometimes 100 pages and there's all these different great companies and that's great. Uh, but it also kind of overwhelms people sometimes. So what do you think are some of the things that people can grow specifically that would help them be more sustainable? Sure. So the things that I think that can, people could grow that be more sustainable, number one, I mean, you could look through all the seed catalogs you want. But what we really need to think about, especially when wanting to be successful with gardening, is, you know, maybe cultivate things that are local and native to your area that are edible. So, you know, for example, in my area, you know, I live in the California Bay Area, and when the miners came here to, you know, get the gold and the gold rush, they ate what's called miner's lettuce. And miner's lettuce just literally grows up in the hills here in California as as a native wild plant that the miners came and eat and it has an amazing flavor and you know some of these wild foods you can actually harvest the seeds under the in the wild conditions then take them and cultivate them in your garden and those are going to be the absolute easiest things to grow because you know you're not going to have a problem with pests you know if you bring in lettuce that's you know from the north or whatever and you're trying to grow lettuce like i'm growing lettuce now the lettuce in my garden right now is getting attacked by everything and you're, you're going to throw your hands up in the air unless you have a lot of time to deal with them you know, so growing things that are native and local to your area that grow well without much care are definitely a good thing. So besides the miner's lettuce in Northern California, I would encourage people to actually grow the weeds. So things like dandelions, things like chickweed, things like stinging nettles, they're all great edible and high nutrient value foods. And they're going to grow really well for people without a lot of problems with the pest because they're all around. So, you know, and leafy greens over all else is the number one food I think people should be growing in their garden. My channel is called Growing Your Greens, and that's for a specific reason. Because green green foods, I mean, they're what make the cow, you know, a thousand pounds and have all the strength. You know, a lot of herbivores and animals that eat plants are really strong, and they have, you know, huge muscles. And even, you know, we eat the cows to get our protein. We could also eat leaves if we don't have a source of meats to eat. So... You know, greens should be the staple of a garden. They're also one of the easiest things to grow, in my opinion. Yeah, and on your comment on weeds, like one of the ones I really like to grow, and people always freak out because, like, they're going to come up everywhere. And I'm like, well, that's great, is lamb's quarters. Uh, it's yep. uh, it's absolutely outstanding. And then there's something called wolzantle, which is a very similar um, plant that's, that's real popular now in Southern California with a lot of Latino gardeners. Yeah, the whole chinopodium or spinach family a group, you know, there's a really cool one called strawberry spinach, which is in the same family, makes the leaves, but it also makes these little strawberry-like fruits. I grew that a couple of years ago. That was a trip. 
How are those berries? I've always seen that plant, and I've always thought about growing it. And you know, I've read that the berries are just basically kind of bland, and some people say they're actually pretty good. So, what, what do you say? Well, I mean, you, you, when you think about those berries, you can't think of them like a strawberry or a raspberry or anything like that. They're nothing like that. Sure. They're, they're not too juicy. I mean, I grow them in really good uh, soil mixture. I have compost and add rock dust and some other things in my soil to really bring the soil alive because whatever you grow is going to be a reflection of your soil. So if you're using, you know, soil that's not amended, that doesn't have maybe the nutrients in it, then your plants are going to be able to get fully expressed and have all the full flavor and also the full nutrition in there. So the ones that I grew actually were, like, I wouldn't say they're sweet, but they're good. I wouldn't say, you know, go out of your way to grow them or nothing, but they're kind of a fun curiosity. So they were berry-like. They just weren't like berries. <laughs> yeah, no, they, yeah, they weren't. They're like a raspberry. Take away most of the, take away like eighty percent of the juice, but they had a nice, like mildly fruit flavor, but not much. <laughs> That'd be good in a salad. Yeah, exactly. That's good in a salad. I mean, I would just take a whole handful of them, pop them in the mouth, and chew them up. And I mean, it wasn't wasn't like astringent or you know bitter or anything. It was like it was sure. pleasant, you know, but it wasn't like a berry. <laughs> Well, maybe I'll have to uh, try this. You know, we got a lot of people listening to this show. I mean, and I own a five-acre piece of land, and a lot of people have that dream, and they want a really big piece of land, a, you know, a traditional homestead or whatever. But you're growing like ninety to ninety-five percent of your vegetables, and you're doing it on like a six thousand square foot lot. How do you manage to do that? Absolutely, yeah. So I just have a standard tract home. I mean, you got to start where you're at. As much as I'd like to have a five-acre piece of land and you know grow all my stuff and fruit trees and and do everything the right way you know i'm not in that situation so you got to make do with what you got and i encourage everybody to just start today literally put up a four foot by four foot raised bed garden man and just and start so what i've done is i converted my front lawn into an all raised bed edible vegetable garden i have videos on actually how exactly i did this on my uh, youtube channel that's why one of the reasons why i started the youtube channel to show people how to do it um, and basically you just, I plant things a lot closer than what you read on the seed packet. Cause what they say on the seed packet is great if you have five acres, but when you got 6,000 square feet, 1600 square feet is taken up by your house and you got a driveway and some other stuff, you know, you really got to grow, um, you know, things tighter together than you normally would also because of I'm growing things tighter together. I also got to make sure my soil is most nutritious as possible which allows me to grow things closer together so that the roots don't have to spread out as much as they normally would. So what's your, what's your primary way to uh, boost soil fertility, mineral content, all that stuff? Because when you get into, you're talking about kind of like a biointensive growing methodology, you do have to uh, put more care into that because you're asking the same square foot to produce more uh, here than, than in a conventional growing system. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's two main ways to do it, and there's a ton of others, but I'm only going to mention the top two. Number one is compost. So composted, you know, vegetables, food scraps, animal manures that you compost on your own site make high-quality compost, old leaves, old grass, you know, shredded up cardboard, newspaper, wood chips, you know, 100% sawdust, not the stuff with the, um, you know, particle board in it and whatnot. So compost, number one, because that adds the biologics and the friendly bacteria and fungus back into the soil, which actually do a lot of work in the soil to build your soil fertility. You know, now with conventional fertilizers, you know, you're, you're bypassing all that, and conventional fertilizers will literally kill your soil. So that's not a good thing. Another thing I like is the worm castings or worm compost to add. And then the final thing over all else, even more important in some ways than the compost that I'm really big into is called rock dust, and the rock dust is finely ground 
um, uh, tr- trace minerals, basically. Finely ground rocks of varied nature ground up into a dust that are now available for the soil microbes and also your plants to absorb. Because our topsoils are devoid of minerals, there's a Senate document published in like 1930s that stated, you know, our soils are devoid of minerals because of the topsoil erosion and the farming and the chemical agriculture, you know, and these are things that are actually very hard to find because I think powers at bay maybe don't want these things to come back because this is how we could really make a difference and bring soil fertility back without buying a whole bunch of chemical fertilizers and whatnot. Well, actually have true fertility because I've been looking at things like uh, there's a tremendous number of uh, pecan orchards in uh, Texas, and they're having these symptoms that show that these trees are highly deficient in phosphorus, and they're they're having poor yields and uh, you know turning colors of leaves and whatnot. And then they go in and they test the soil and they go, well, there's phosphorus out the ass here. There's phosphorus everywhere, but it's chemical phosphorus from NPK fertilizer. And what they've determined is there's been so much of this stuff poured on the ground that even though, yeah, it's there, the trees are unable to access it. It's not bioavailable. Now, they know it was bioavailable when they first started putting it there, but years and years of doing this have so degraded the fungal hyphae networks and things like that, these trees aren't able to actually absorb the the phosphorus that's sitting right there in abundance. Absolutely. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, gardens will go down the whole road and miracle grow. And I mean, that stuff will work great for a while. But, you know, the other thing that people don't realize is, you know, if you're putting NPK in your plants, that's what's going into them. And that's what's proven to grow, you know, large crop because, you know, in America, in most places, you know, we're, we're taught to buy by the pound, by the yield and farmers sell by the yield. So they want to produce the most stuff, but it doesn't mean it's the most nutritious or going to be the most healthiest either. The other benefit of using things like the trace minerals is that the plant's immune system is going to be healthier. It's like if you're eating a diet at McDonald's, you know, there's a movie called Supersizing where the guy ate 30, 30 days on McDonald's and his health went downhill. And, you know, when you're doing, you know, a miracle grow and other chemical fertilizers to your plants, I mean, your, your plants resistant to disease and bacteria and pests go way down. But when you build your soil, the plants are stronger, so then they're going to be able to fight off disease and pests by themselves. And, I mean, that's what they've had to do through the millennia by themselves to survive here on earth, you know, until we got involved trying to put things like NPK because we could, we could outsmart them because we want to grow for yield and tonnage and make a lot of tonnage but not nutrient-rich foods. The final point I want to make on that is that if we're putting NPK in the soil, that's what the plants are absorbing. That's going to be the majority of the mineral balance in the foods that you're eating. So now you may, you know, not have the optimal mineral balance in you. So I think, you know, the trace mineral supplementation uh, for the plants so that we could get the minerals through the plants instead of taking a multivitamin, really important. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's man got too smart for his own good on the NPK thing, I think. We determined that, hey, I can get stuff to grow with just these three things. And we started to ignore magnesium, selenium, copper, and this huge laundry list of these other minerals. And yes, the plants only need these little bits of it, but if you take it away, it's like saying... Well, you, you only need a little bit of oxygen. I mean, most of the <laughs> air you breathe is actually nitrogen, so stop complaining that we cut your oxygen back to 9%. Exactly. I mean, I, I say feed the plants, you know, the full spectrum, and let them choose what they want to take. You know, I mean, if, we, if we're in a buffet at the casino in Las Vegas or whatnot, I mean, we get to choose what we want to eat. You know, it's not like, you oh, you only got to eat carrots, you know. We want to we want to have a whole selection and, you know, do that for your plants. Provide them what they need and let them figure out what's going on. And I know another question they might be thinking in some of your uh, 
uh, listeners' minds there, Jack, is about the the heavy metals. You know, some people are freaked out about lead and mercury sure. and these other things. And yes, they are absolutely in the some of the trace mineral supplementation. But once again, they're in small amounts. It's only when na- you know when man gets involved and extracts out all this lead and puts it into paint in high amounts or puts it in things in high amounts, then it could be a problem. But when it's in small parts per million concentrations, you know, as nature would provide, because, I mean, all these minerals like lead and mercury are in rocks, but in really small amounts and in small amounts, plants and even us can deal with it. It's only when they're in high amounts there's a problem. And I will have actually a video episode specifically dealing about that because that's a question I get actually a lot. I think that's a great topic because I hear about it a lot, and my, my response is, well, first of all, let's understand that every time you inhale and exhale, that you're bringing about 50,000 toxins into your body. Um, it, there's toxins everywhere, and like you say, our bodies have adapted over time to deal with natural uh, levels of these toxins, and in many cases, things that are toxic are beneficial in small quantities. Uh, there's a, there's a, a huge list of things like that. But then my next question for the person is, I don't want to put rock dust in there because there might be some mercury in there. Have you had any tuna fish lately? <laughs> you know, and you're going to get far more tuna, or more mercury out of a can of uh, Starkist than you are out of a little bit of rock mineral added to your garden that's going to get up, you know, taken up by your peppers, tomatoes, or or lettuce. Absolutely. So um, you're you're big on doing this stuff because not just of a desire for health, uh, and not just because you like to do it. It's it, food sovereignty is a hot issue for your you as well. So could you talk a little bit about exactly what you feel food sovereignty is, and what we can be doing in our own backyards to ensure it? Oh, food sovereignty for me is huge. Right next up there to my health, and my health is probably number one because I've learned without your health. You don't have nothing. I almost lost my life when I was in my 20s, and that's you know put me on the path that I am today and to value my health more than anything else in the world. But uh, aside from that, the food sovereignty issue to me is very important. I mean, nowadays, uh, in my opinion, what's happening is that there's, there's companies that are trying to control what we're eating. I mean, it, it's already happened. There's a really good movie called King Corn. It talks about how you know a lot of foods, processed foods, are literally made out of corn, that you're eating, whether they have high fructose corn syrup or all these other different hidden ingredients and all this corn that people are eating are made from genetically modified corn, which, you know, may have other health implications, but also it's, you know, mainly uh, companies want to patent these seeds so that they can sell them because if it's, if it's not patentable, they can't sell and they could patent genetically modified seeds. And these seeds are getting into the environment and then the, especially in corn, pollen can drift and contaminate seeds that were non-contaminated, which is really huge in my opinion. And, you know, day by day, there's more foods that are now going to be genetically modified. And if we, the people, don't take back control, the farmers are definitely not doing it because they're buying into the whole system of paying for the seeds and, you know, supposedly getting better yields, which, I, you know, the research I've seen hasn't showed that and whatnot. But what's, what's happening is the, the companies are just trying to take over. The governments and whatnot are trying to, you know, the companies are paying off the governments to make favorable laws for them. And it, it's not starting with the big farmers, so it needs to start at the grassroots level with people growing unique and heirloom, different varieties of plants and vegetables and fruits and saving their seeds, passing them on to everybody that they know so that they could grow the ones that are not genetically modified. 
You know, I've heard a statistic lately, like most farmers are in their 60s, and there's not a whole lot of farmers getting into the farming industry these days. You know, and I mean, when that happens, I think what, what's going to happen is big companies are going to take over that whole industry. And then, you know, we know what happens when big companies and Big Brother gets involved. It's not good. So we need to take those issues back in our own hands. And the best thing that a person could do, in my opinion, is grow a garden, save their seeds, and continue to grow their garden and spread their seeds and share their seeds with others so that others could do this too. Because if everybody in the world did this, I mean, we could put the companies out of business. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm seeing more and more encroachment of the GMOs into uh, the more typical backyards. Uh, Monsanto now is going to be, you know, in, in their minds, benevolent and start selling GMO corn to backyard gardeners, which is just a, a disaster because it just increases the problems with cross-pollination. I just heard today uh, for the first time that the uh, the FDA, which, you know, strikingly is, you know, staffed with tremendous numbers of former Monsanto employees that go back and forth like a revolving door, uh, but they are now going to deregulate Monsanto's GMO sugar beets. And, and though, but those are like, you know, we got the corn and the soy and the rice, and sugar beet is, you know, grown mostly for sugar production. They're the, the mainstream broad acre crops, but they're now starting to move more and more toward doing this GMO stuff with the things that are more typical in a backyard. There's a, you know, there's a GMO tomato or two now, they're talking about GMO squashes. These types of things, to me, uh, we're gonna. If we don't do what you're saying, we're gonna end up with, you know, there'll be, you know, five sources. It'll it'll be like the phone company. You get, you know, T-Mobile or or you know, AT&T or what have you or Sprint, uh, but probably a whole lot less benevolent than the phone company. Absolutely. I mean, I think. I mean, the number one thing, if, if you're outraged about the whole food sovereignty thing, you need to just start growing a garden. <laughs> that's just the only way. And tell your friends to grow gardens too, and get people involved. I mean, that's one of the reasons why. You know, I pr- pretty much just strive to put out a show every other day, and that's a video show. <laughs> and yeah. That's a lot of work, you know, to, to spread the knowledge and spread, you know, what what's truly possible in our society. By you know, yet the other yesterday's episode was actually I visited a local playground and the playground is integrating fruits and vegetables into the playground so that the kids after they're done playing they could just go next door and eat you know pesticide free fruit fruits and vegetables it's amazing yeah it is amazing and you wonder why more people aren't doing it i know i talked a lot with the city of arlington when i lived in arlington texas about you know let's get some more edible shrubs bushes vines and trees into the parks because there's a, a, a huge plethora of you know public parks throughout the city of Arlington. It's something they they did a good job of setting aside land for, and all of the people that are involved in the horticulture there said they've been instructed, uh, and not just from the city but like in their uh, their education to not use productive trees in these environments. And when I asked them why, they said because it creates litter. And I, I sit and I think, what kind of an arrogant country? Do we live in today that we consider food garbage? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big topic with me too. I mean, I have a front yard garden, and I don't think I necessarily check my laws in my area before I did it. <laughs> Luckily enough, I haven't gotten cited, but there have been places and people that have been getting cited for growing gardens. You know, I mean, the whole thing about lawns and having a lawn. I mean, it's it's just like the rich people in, in what England or whatever had lawns on their big estates, and then. When the 50s came in America, everybody had a lawn, and that's just what we were supposed to do. But, you know, I've kind of <laughs> thrown that whole notion out the window. I think everybody else in my block has a lawn except me, and it looks a little bit different. And, but I like it because it's productive, and it's actually doing something useful. And also, it's spreading a very important message. 
Yeah, there's a, a, a fellow YouTuber out there called Vlog Brothers, and I don't remember which one of it was, did a video about lawns. And his point was, could you imagine a world where, let's say, everybody did uh, you know, what, what, what you do and what I do and what a lot of my audience does, and there's productivity everywhere. And then along the way, somebody comes along and says, I've got this new stuff you can plant out front. It's called grass. And all the people <laughs> like us would go, so what does it do? Well, it's green. Okay, well, what do you do with it? Well, you cut it. You have to keep it at this certain height so that it looks good. Well, when do I get anything out of it? Y you don't. And when I cut it, what do I do with the waste? So you pay somebody to take it away. Uh, how often do I have to water this stuff? Pretty much every day or every other day in the summertime. Well, what does it do for me? It looks pretty and green. That, that people would think you've lost your freaking mind to suggest <laughs> that we do such a thing, and yet today it's, it, it is what we do. Yep. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so you, you didn't get permission or check your laws, and I'm all for the philosophy of um, asking for, for forgiveness versus permission, but like you said, there has been a, a large number of people that have come under attack from this. We just did some work to support the lady in Oklahoma uh, who had the, the, the city actually came in and wanted her to pull her garden out, and she said no, and that she called the police because they were going to do it, I don't know if you've heard about this one, but the cop came no, out and he wrote, her a, he wrote her a ticket, and people were like, oh, man, no, the cop tried to help. He basically said, take it before the judge. I can't stop them. I can't tell you what to do, but you're, you're do your day in court. And then the city went in before the, the hearing and just tore it out. And, and that type of thing's going on all over the place. And I don't know, a lot of people link that to the whole Monsanto GMO thing. I just see it as, like, people, like have just lost track of what's important, and they're more worried about, like, I want my neighborhood to be like, you know, you know, Stepford Wivish, or what's that freaking show, Desperate Housewives, everything's the same, everything's an HOA. <laughs> yeah, HOAs are a whole other big issue. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Oh, we talk about it all the time here. I have one piece of advice on HOAs. Don't buy a house where they exist. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. I'm looking for new property now in uh, in Central Texas, and we found this five-acre piece. It's beautiful. It's near a lake. And it said deed restricted. So I called the agent. I go, does that mean HOA? He goes, yeah, but it's it's really inclusive. It's not that big a deal. So I start reading the thing, and it's like, you want to build a fence, you got to ask permission. But what what like really killed it for me was no chickens, no goats. you know. And I, it's just a five-acre piece of land with mesquite scrub on it. Wow. And, and I can't keep a chicken. But, but I can keep a cow. One cow for five acres, or I can keep a horse, but I can't have a freaking chicken. And, and that's why I say you just got to stay away from these things. I'd agree with you. So you don't have one? Luckily, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so your channel is awesome. You do put out, like you said, like like a, a video show every other day, which, man, I totally respect that because I do an audio show every day. Uh, and I do a weekly audio show on the business side of things, and it, it and I only do so much video because it's a lot more work. But let's talk about some of the videos that uh, that, that you've done recently. Uh, you've done some recently on making compost, for instance. Yeah, I mean that's the number one and most important thing you could do. And you know, I mean, I'm def I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I'm an expert compost maker. I'm not. I'm a total neophyte. But with the video that I made, it shows what I'm doing. And how am I able to be doing it successfully without, you know, researching and knowing how to be the compost master that I'm not? Yeah, I'm, I'm not big on the term master composter. <laughs> um, I remember I was watching one of Jeff Lawton's videos, and he was like, I'm a compost artist. And then he pauses, right? 
and it takes the class like a couple seconds to put the concept of manure and artist together and get the joke. And I think he t- he gets really involved with it, but in the end he also says, if you pile a bunch of crap together, nature knows what it's doing and it'll break down. And you can mess it up. You can make it go anaerobic and smell, but but basically, you know, the forest does this every single day of the year. It's actively building soil and composting. So so it's it's not as complicated, I think, as some people want to make it out to be. I absolutely agree with that. And before I figured out the right way to do it or the way I'm doing it that happens faster, my whole motto was compost happens. I mean, you pile stuff up, and if you don't get the mixture right, nature will figure it out. I mean, you'll get, like, soldier, you know, maggots in there, and they'll be, like, eating your stuff. You'll get worms in there. I mean, whatever. They're gonna, Something's going to be eating it. They're going to be pooping out their stuff, and you're going to have some compost. <laughs> yeah, on the black soldier fly larva. Right, uh, yeah. You yeah. feed those to your chickens. They think you're, like, God or something. They, they go crazy <laughs> over those things. So another one of your videos you just did, tell us a little bit about this one, How I Prevent Stealing from My Community Garden. Oh, man, that was, that was a pretty bad video. So what happened was I have two community garden plots in addition to the, the, what I'm growing here. And uh, what happened was somebody stole a water timer from me, you know, that I left out over the winter time, And they cut the pipes and everything. And I also show in the video where somebody had literally cut my fence to um, steal my tomatoes and peppers one year and I had to patch that up and... I mean, it just happens a lot because it's a public space and I'm not over there a lot. And so my main thing about that was that, number one, the main thing is to grow things that are non-desirable, you know, or grow things that are going to piss the person trying to steal your stuff off. So like growing uh, stinging nettles, for example, around the border or growing stinging nettles in your bed. So when they're like, oh, we're going to steal some of these, they touch it, they'll get stung and then they won't come back. But, you know, stinging nettles to me are a really good, rich, edible food. If you go to a health food store, they're going to charge you $15, $20 a pound for dried, stinging nettle. And I, I got all I want for free. I could dehydrate it, keep it for the wintertime. It actually grows fairly well year-round here. Another thing I do is I grow tubers root crops. So, you know, people are looking for tomatoes because people know what tomatoes are. I mean, most people know what a tomato is, but most people don't know what a Yacon tuber is or a Jerusalem artichoke tuber or a Chinese artichoke tuber. So those are the, some of the crops that I grow that are under the ground. If they want to steal the leaf matter above, you know, hey, that's great. <laughs> that's not going to do much for them, and they're not going to know what it is, and they're not going to eat it. And they won't come back for more either. And they won't come back for more because it doesn't taste good. And, you know, they'll probably just go to another garden. I mean, just like, you know, making your house safe to prevent burglary. You want to just have enough so that they're going to go somewhere else, you know. And I think by doing some of these techniques and growing things that maybe not as desirable but really good for me, because, you know, the tubers take a lot of space, and the Jerusalem artichokes, actually, they're actually they're one of the easiest tubers to grow. They're going to take over your space, and they're going to provide you tons of food. So a, a root crop that's a weed, <laughs> that grows like a weed, that'll spread like a weed, in my book, is a good weed to have, because it's going to have a lot of food for you, especially, you know, during the wintertime, because they're going to stay pretty well under the ground and just dig them as you need them. Was it one of your videos, I think, that I was watching where you grew like two of them, two Jerusalem artichokes in one of your beds, and when you pulled it out at the end of the season, it was like this ridiculous amount of production? Yeah, I mean, so I grew it in a pot, like I just left them in a pot, and I watered the pot every now and then, not even that much, and it was a three-gallon pot, and I was like, I don't know, eight, ten pounds out of one pot. It was actually busting out of the pot. That's right. Yeah, I remember that now. And then I actually have another one where I was in the backyard and off one planting, I don't know if it was two plants, but it was just like one planting, one area. It was like, I don't know, 25 or 50 pounds off two plants. It was insane. Or, you know, one little area. 
Uh, you know, on the community garden theft, I got a, I got a good one for you. There was a uh, story I covered about a year ago. It was, you know, filed it under a little bit of humor. And this guy says he looks out his window, and there's a dude in his backyard. He had a chain-link fence. And the guy's grabbing, like, just yanking leaves off the, the okra plant in his yard. And he, you know, he goes out there and yells at him, and he takes off, and he calls the police. And the police are like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, you see my backyard ripping. So they finally catch the guy, and the guy's all freaked out. He thought the okra was marijuana. <laughs> and he had a grocery bag full of okra leaves. And uh, he was afraid he was going to be cited for marijuana possession, but he got his ass cited for uh, for trespassing. Yeah, don't grow okra. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you just wonder, like, some of these people, are they, you know, what are, what are they doing out there? Um, you're, uh, you're, you're, your channel's awesome. I really can't recommend enough to people that, uh, that they get out uh, on your channel and subscribe to it. And uh, check out some of your videos. And, I mean, I just appreciate the hell out of the work that you're doing, John. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jack. I mean, I appreciate the work you're doing. We're all, we're all needed to, you know, bring about a change in our society that maybe aren't, isn't going down the right direction, in my opinion. Well, I completely agree with you, and I appreciate you being with us on the air today. And uh, any final thoughts for people? I mean, I'm, I guess the main thought that I have is just get out and start growing a garden today, whether you're growing in a little container because you're in an apartment or, you know, growing some sprouts because they're the easiest thing to do or start off with some leafy green vegetables. And don't get set up on like, oh, I want to grow corn because, you know, I love corn. You know, especially when the prepper mindset, you want to grow what's going to be easy to grow and, and feed. And it might not be the most desirable, but at least you're going to be growing something and get your feet wet. And then you could move on to greater pastures at that point. Well, awesome, awesome stuff, folks. I will put a link to, uh, to John's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, in the show notes of today's show, and I highly recommend uh, you get by there and subscribe. And remember, when you subscribe on YouTube, you have an option to get an email update every time uh, whoever you're subscribing to uploads a new video, and I find that to be very useful, so you might want to do that as well. Again, John, thank you for being on the show with us today. All right, thank you, Jack. And folks, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with John Kohler, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for